you ready for the word? I said, are you ready for the word? Bow our hearts. Lord, we thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've sent your son. And we open our hearts up to hear your word today. We pray that your word would go forth in power and boldness and clarity, that we would hear your word and understand your word and that it would bring forth power and fruit. Help us not to only be faithful, but help us to be fruitful as well. And everyone said a great big amen. You may be seated. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse number 13, hear the words of Moses recorded in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse number 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, and make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you should make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30. Ye shall make a window for the ark, and ye shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its, cell, in its side, and ye shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven of all the flesh in which is the breath of life, and everything that is on the earth shall die." But I will establish my covenant with you, and ye shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh ye shall bring two of them of sorts into the ark, to keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female, of all the birds of after their kind, and animals after their kind, and every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And ye shall take for yourself of all the food that is eating. And ye shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all of that that God had commanded them, so he did. Just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, the battle of the boats. Would you say that with me this morning? The battle of the boats. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor there's a battle between the boats. One more time, everybody say the battle between the boats. The battle between the boats. One of the greatest disasters in human history took place on April the 4th, 1912. There was a ship called the Titanic. History tells us that the Titanic sank to the bottom of the seafloor. Now, my friends, it's been about a hundred years or over since that great ship sank to the bottom of the sea floor. And there are memories of that awful day that is still read in textbooks throughout America. One of the reasons why I believe that we are still reading about this story, we're still fascinated about this story, is because this story the story of the Titanic was supposed to be a boat that should have never sank. 
were filled with fascination of this to the point that years ago a fictional movie was called The Titanic. Every few years, there appears to be more facts, more details, and more information given about the Titanic and what is discovered and what they are continuing to discover. Now, it is true that there are some things that we will never find out about what really happened on that day on April the 4th, 1912. We can only speculate. We can only read what has been written. But our minds, eyes, and imagination cannot fathom all those people perishing on that day when they died in the icy cold waters on April the 12th. Can you imagine the hearts of mothers holding on to their children as they sank to the bottom of the seafloor? Now, this morning, I want to look at the story of the Titanic. But not only do I want to look at the story of the Titanic and look at the boat, but I also want to look at the boat of Noah. I want you to look at Noah's boat, and I want you to look at the modern-day boat called the Titanic. I want you to see the comparison between these two boats because I believe there is a battle between the boats. And one of us, we have to, all of us have to decide which boat we're going to get on. All of us is going to have to decide what boat we're going to ride. Either you're going to ride the boat called the Titanic, or you want to stay on the boat called the Noah's boat, the ark. And that's a decision that you have to make. But let us explore just for a few moments and engage the story of the Titanic. And there are a few fascinating things that I want to reveal to you concerning the Titanic. The Titanic cost over $7.5 million for them to make. That was in the 1912, 1910, somewhere around there. It took about three years or two years for them to build the ship, and it took over 3,000 men to help build the ship. This ship was massive. Now, if you compare it to the ships today, the Carnival Cruise and the Disney boat, you know, if you, can, if you uh, uh, compare it today to the modern-day ships, it, it, there is no comparison. Before 1912, it was a huge ship. It was a massive ship. It took two years for them to build and over 3,000 people to engage in building the ship. The price of a single ticket to get on the Titanic was $4,000 and roughly $4,700, I think is what they said. So it was not only a massive ship, but it was a very expensive ship. It cost a lot of money to get on the ship. It was known as the largest largest man-made object in the world. In 1912, it was known as the largest man-made moving object in the world. They called it a floating palace, is what they called it in 1912. In 1912, they had a tennis court, they had a gymnasium, they had a ballroom, and they also had elevators. That was pretty impressive for 1912. It was truly a floating palace. It was a five-star hotel at sea. It was a massive ship. It was 882 and a half feet long, which is equivalent to three or four city blocks. The anchors on the ship weighed 15 and a half tons. Each of the chain link weighed 175 pounds. There was nine decks to the ship. 
It was said that it was one of the safest ships in the world. It was also known that the Titanic was called the unsinkable ship. Somebody, when they got onto the ship, it was recorded that one of a prestige man, a banker said on the ship, he said, not even God could sink the ship. It was known for, it was known as an unsinkable ship. It was known for the material that it was made out of. There was about 2,206 people on the ship that boarded that day. 2,206 people. Some of those passengers that day when they boarded the ship was very famous. As a matter of fact, history tells us some of very famous people with lots of money boarded the ship that day. Why were they boarding the ship? Because it was a five-star hotel at the sea. It was a floating palace. History tells us that there was at least two warnings that was given to the Titanic before the Titanic hit the iceberg. Two warnings were given to the captain of the ship, but yet the captain of the ship ignored the warnings that was given to him. Two warnings were given that an iceberg was ahead, and yet they ignored it. More people, they say, could have been saved that day. More people could have saved that day. The lifeboats that they had on the Titanic proximally could have contained 60 people. But when they filled up, when they filled up the lifeboats, guess what? Guess how many they put on the, 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 the little uh, the lifeboats? 10 people, 15 people, 12 people, 20 people at the max. The boat could have contained 60 people. There was enough lifeboats on the Titanic to save all 2,000 people. But they got in a hurry. They were fearful. They were in panic. And so immediately they got the lifeboat and just threw on some women and some children. 10 people here and 20 people here. There was 1,500 people that died that day and went to their icy grave. 705 people were saved through the lifeboats when in reality, all of them could have been saved. The iceberg that the Titanic hit was not a very big iceberg. As a matter of fact, they were even confused about why in the world the Titanic would have sank. It wasn't a very big iceberg, but it was an iceberg. And the iceberg punctured the Titanic. And as a result of that, within hours, the Titanic sank to the bottom of the seafloor on April the 12th, 19, April 14th, 19 and 12. When I am reminded of the story of the Titanic and when I read history about the Titanic and when I look at the fascinating story of the Titanic, there are some lessons that I believe that you can learn from the Titanic. If you really open up your heart and if you open up your ears and if you open up your spiritual heart, I believe that there are some things that you can learn from the Titanic. How many this morning would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to learn what I can from the Titanic. Can you do that for me? So number one, we're going to look at what you can learn from the Titanic. Are you ready? Would you say a big amen? 
Everybody say a big amen. These are things that you can learn from the Titanic. Number one, the very first lesson that you can learn from the Titanic is this, that no matter how strong you are, if you don't trust in God, you will sink. Can I say that again? The lesson from the Titanic is this, my friends, that no matter how strong you think you are, if you don't trust God, you will sink. Can I say that one more time? No matter how strong you are, no matter how educated you are, and no matter how righteous you may seem to be, if you don't put your full trust in God, you will sink to the bottom of the sea, just like the Titanic sank. You may say, preacher, it will never happen to me. It will never happen to me, preacher. I am strong. It will never happen to me. Well, that's what Samson said. Samson was the strongest man who ever lived. And guess what? Sin came to his door. And sin knocked on his door. And sin beckoned him to come and fight in the arena of life. And what did Samson do? Samson, in his own strength, went out to fight sin in the arena of life. And what did sin do? Sin cut his hair. Sin gouged out his eyes. And he became a prisoner for the Philistines. The strongest man who ever lived could not fight in the arena of life against sin. Because no matter how strong you think you are, no matter how strong you think you are, if you don't fully trust God, you will sink in this life. What about Samson? Sin came knocking in Samson's door and sin beckoned for Samson to fight in the arena of life. And Samson thought he could win against sin because he had wisdom. He had possessions. He had women. And yet in the end of Solomon's life, sin won. He could not fight in the arena of life any longer. What are you saying, preacher? I am saying this, that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. But yet he lost in the end. Samson, the strongest man who ever lived. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And Judas, one of the twelve who walked with his master for three and a half years. It was him who betrayed the Lord. Never think that you cannot fail. Don't think that you're above sin. Don't think that your heart can't become hardened. Don't think that you can't mess up. Be aware. Because if you exalt yourself in your own strength and your own ability, ladies and gentlemen, my friends, you will sink in the arena of life. The Titanic tells us this, that no matter how strong you are, if you don't put your trust in God, you will sink. Recently, you know, since March, we, the world has been involved in a pandemic. And the, 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 they have told us over and over that there are things they want us to do. They tell us that you should social distance from each other. They told us that you should sanitize your hands and that you should put a mask on your face. I'm not against those regulations at all, but I want to say something to you spiritually. I think that as a church, I encourage you to sanitize your hands, but some of you need to sanitize your heart. 
You're worried about sanitizing your hand and yet you're sitting in the church pew week after week and your soul is lost without God. If you want to sanitize your hands and put so much energy in sanitizing your hand, for the love of God, sanitize your heart. You ever went to a restroom, a public restroom, and there's a sign over the toilet? Or there's a sign over the sink that says, before returning to work, employees sanitize and wash your hands. Do you know what I think I should do? I should, put, I should put signs all over this church. All you volunteers, everybody that works in this church, make sure you sanitize your heart before you go to church. Because we come to church, we become critical. You know why? Because you haven't sanitized your heart. Your heart is corrupted. You're sanitizing your hands, which is a good thing, but you must sanitize your heart. You see, what do you mean, Pastor? Pilate stood on the day of crucifixion and they brought the Savior to Pilate. And what did Pilate do? Pilate washed his hands. And yet he still crucified him. We have people washing their hands, and yet we're crucifying people with our hearts. Boy, am I good? <laughs> wash your hands. But the greater challenge is wash your heart as well. If you're going to trust God, you got to make sure the heart is right. It's the heart of man that God deals with. What can I learn about the Titanic? I can learn that number two, that pride will always come before a fall. What did the man say on the Titanic? That not even God could sink the ship. Oh, can you hear the pride in the man's heart? Can you hear the pride of those famous people as they boarded the ship that day? This is the most, this is, this is a, a floating palace on sea. This is a five-star hotel. We're going to go on this ship and we're going to indulge ourselves in every form of sin that we could ever imagine. This ship would never sink. And yet the Bible is clear. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, the writer tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What is the problem of the human race? The problem of the human race is not gluttony. The problem of the human race is not sexual sin. The problem of the human race is not lawlessness. The problem of the human race is pride. We have exalted ourselves before God. Eve exalted herself before God. She ate of the fruit, gave it to her husband, and because of their pride, you and I have inherited original sin. It is the pride of humanity. It was Lucifer that exalted himself before God Almighty. And it was Lucifer that said, I will exalt my throne above his throne. It was Lucifer's pride that caused him to be kicked out of heaven. And ladies and gentlemen, my friends, I'm telling you that pride is the quickest way to destruction. It is a humble spirit that God honors. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 51, when David cried the prayer of repentance, he said, it is a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will never despise. 
The problem that we have in the modern day church is that we got people who have been baptized under a steeple, but all they are is pagans sitting in a church pew hearing a six foot icicle every week and their heart has never been changed. And I've come to let you know that you can go to hell sitting in a church pew week after week if you don't sanitize your heart. God is not impressed with your church attendance. Don't think you're doing God of any favor. The church of Jesus Christ will survive without you whether you come or not. C.S. Lewis said it like this, and I quote, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. It was pride that sank the Titanic and pride will sink your life. Pride will sink your life. Number three, fame and fortune cannot save you. Fame and fortune cannot save you. Remember, there was famous people that entered the Titanic that day. There was world-renowned people that went into the Titanic that day, but in spite of their money, in spite of their profession, in spite of their degrees, they still sank to the bottom of the seafloor because Jesus warns us that it cannot save you. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, and I quote, then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Did you hear what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, you got to watch out for greed. You got to watch out being in covenant. You got to be watch out that your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. Because greed and material gain will snatch your soul into pride and it will cause you to lose your soul in the end. No amount of money, no amount of pride, no amount of fortune will ever save your life. You see, money is good, but money is a tool and money reveals who you truly are. If you're selfish, money reveals a selfish heart. If you're generous, it reveals a generous heart. Money is a tool. It's neither good nor bad. It just reveals the state of a heart of a man or a woman. Money will buy you a bed, my friends, but it will never buy you sleep. It will buy you books, but it won't buy you brains. It will buy you food, but it won't buy you an appetite. It will buy you a house, but it won't buy you a home. It will buy you medicine, but it won't buy you health. It will buy you amusement, but it won't buy you true happiness. It will buy you a crucifix, but it won't buy you a savior. It will buy you a church pew, but it won't buy you a home in heaven. Somebody help this preacher preach this morning. Tim Keller, the great Presbyterian preacher of New York, said it, my favorite author, said it like this, and I quote, The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dreamed to believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dreamed and hoped for. Hallelujah. Can I read that to you one more time? I said, can I read that to you one more time? Tim Keller said it like this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and more flawed in ourselves than we ever dreamed or believed. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we 
we ever hope to believe. I want to let you know that there is still hope beyond the scope of human limitations. Fame and fortune cannot save you. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 16, and he told them in a parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded abundant harvest. And he thought within himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and big builder ones, bigger ones, and then I will store my grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it would be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich for God. Now, I'm not against things as long as things don't have you. But it's ironic that one of the booming businesses in America is storage buildings. We store our stuff up in buildings. We are paying money to store our stuff in buildings. How spoiled are we? Now, if you've got a building, praise God. But I want you to look how spoiled we are in America. We have so much stuff, we got to put it in storage bins just to contain it. And yet, we hold back what belongs to God. We hold back the tithe. We hold back what belongs to God. But yet, we have enough money to store our stuff up in storage buildings and store our... Come on, somebody. Our perception has been flawed by our need for self-gratification. I'm telling you, the fame and fortune and possessions will not save you in the end. Money reveals who you are. Number four, God always sends warnings first. Remember, the captain of the ship got two warnings. He ignored the warnings. He ignored the warnings. I believe that the Titanic could have been saved. I believe those 2,000 people on board should have been spared. If the leader, if the leader, listen to this preacher, if the leader would have gave heed to the warnings, Listen to this preacher. I'm your leader this morning. God has sent me here. And I am steering this ship. And i got to tell you that there's a warning. And the warning is Jesus is coming back. I'm telling you, we don't have time just to do what we want to do. This is the time to be busy about the Father's kingdom. I'm telling you, if there's sin in your life, repent of it. I'm telling you, if your heart is hard, repent of it. I'm telling you today, if you're living in a place uh, that, that you shouldn't be, I'm telling you, now is the time of repentance. Now is the time to serve God. I am giving you a warning today. How much more warning do you need? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the people were dull of hearing that the people had to go back to elementary principles. They couldn't contain the meat of the word for they were always on the milk of the word. And the result of that, they had dull of hearing. And we have people sitting in church pews all throughout America and they are dull of hearing. God is sounding out the alarm. He is sending out alarms. And there are some people that sit in church pews week after week and they're unmoved by the alarm that's being sounded in the pulpits of America. How much more warning do you need? 
California is on fire. How much more warning do you need? Thousands of people are dying. How much more warning does needed to be sound to wake us up out of our complacency? And yet some of us still won't attend church more. Some of us still won't give more. Some of us still won't sacrifice more because your heart has never been sanitized. The warning's gone out. The preacher is warning you. The preacher is begging you. The preacher is saying, get ready. And we sit there in pride. Unmoved. Unchanged. Nothing moves us anymore. Our eyes are dry now because our heart is dry. I'm sending you a warning today. You say, I've heard it all my life. Jesus is coming. Well, guess what? We're closer now than we were then. Do you all still love me today? I made a commitment three months ago. I would never apologize for preaching the word. Never apologize. Never apologize any longer. You know why I'm preaching like this? It's because I am a pastor that really loves people. And if I really love you, I love your soul. And I want your soul to be saved in the end. Come on, somebody give God praise today. If you believe what I'm telling you, I want you to stand to your feet and give God praise. I believe it, preacher. I believe the word of God. It's power to change my life again. Woo! Pride is power out of control, while humility is power under control. Sometimes we got to do self-evaluation. God's sending the warning, and they ignored the Titanic sank. Ignored. I have pastored for 10, 18 years. Do you know how many times in these 18 years? I basically have done it all my life. In all these years, I've had meetings with people, warned them, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't, 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 don't do it. Please don't do it. And they look at you and they say, I'll do what I want to do. Because mostly people don't want a pastor. They want a puppet. They want somebody to tell them and tickle their ears and tell them. And sheep that sits in church pews, they will eat salt and think it. Come on, somebody. They'll think that they'll sit right there and eat all the sugar, all the sugar, because sugar and salt is this. It looks the same thing. Salt purifies. It tastes bad all by itself. Sugar is really good. It looks the same. And sheep get so hungry that they won't distinguish between sugar and salt. And they'll sit right there in the church pew and die and go to hell because they fed themselves sugar all their lives. Number five, there is more people to be saved. Who lost? 1,500 people died in the end. 
1,500 people died in the end. More people could have been saved. Listen to this preacher. I'm almost done. i got about six minutes left. More people can be saved. You say, well, preacher, you said Jesus is coming back. That's true. Jesus is coming back. We are approaching the end. We are up on the end of end. It is coming back. The thing that we have prayed for, the thing that we believed for is going to happen. You remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said in the last days, scoffers will come and they will tell you where is the promise of his coming. They will mock us. And that's exactly what's happening in this postmodern society. They are mocking us. Jesus isn't coming back. There is no power to this thing anymore. Jesus don't save anymore. That, that's just totally ludicrous to believe such things. To be a conservative now is almost to be offensive to the majority of the people. You see, the reason I'm preaching hard this morning is because you've got to live hard. You've got to have a backbone, especially in this generation that we're living in. You've got to learn up to hold up the banner of Christianity and hold up the banner of righteousness, even if you are not the majority. Sometimes you're going to have to stick out. Is there anybody in this building that agrees with this preacher this morning? In the end, Noah and his eight members of his family were saved and everybody else perished. Noah, I'm sure, was called crazy because he told everybody it was going to rain. And they didn't believe him until the day that he and his family went in the ark and he shut the door. People are going to look at us like we're crazy. They're going to look at me like I'm crazy. Why do you believe in this book? Because this book this morning is an ancient book. This book this morning has preached every funeral that I've ever preached at. This book has a history with people. This book, when you read it, it has the ability to bring refreshing to you. It brings reconciliation to you. It brings liberty to you. When you read this book, it becomes food to your soul. When you read this book, like the prophet Jeremiah said, I ate the scroll and it was sweet to my stomach. When you read this book, it's like a sword. It pierces when it goes in and it pierces when it goes out. When you read this book is a mirror because it begins to reveal the flaws of your human nature. Is there anybody in the building that still believes in the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible, God's infallible, indispensable word of the living God? There is people that needs to be saved. And number six, it's the small things that will cause us to sink. It was a small iceberg that caused the Titanic to sink. A small iceberg. And it's the small things in life that will destroy you. And you see, we think it's the big things that will destroy us. It's not the big things. It's the little small things that you don't get under control. It's the little iceberg. The Bible says in Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 5, he says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that spoil your life. It's the one thing right after, not just the little things, but eventually it erodes the foundation of your life. It's the little things. The battle of the boats. The Titanic was built with pride and it sank. The boat of Noah, the battle of the boats. God said, no, I want you to build an ark. And there's a certain way I want you to build the ark. There's a certain dimension I want you to build the ark. He said, number one, 
I want you to be concerned about the substance of the boat. What was the substance of the ark of Noah? The Bible says that he was to make the boat out of gopher wood. In other words, that type of wood, if you look at it, is the type of wood that usually don't rot. Isn't that interesting? I want you to make the ark out of a certain type of wood. Well, that wood is a wood that usually don't rot. It couldn't rot because he was going to make it. it took him years to make the ark. So the, uh, the, the wood could not rot. And listen, if you're going to build your life, you got to build your life on things that don't rot away. you got to build your life that, of things that don't rot away. How many would raise your hand and say, Preacher, I want to build my life upon a foundation, and I want to build my life upon things that don't rot away and don't rot away? Go for wood. Wood that don't rot away. You see, what about the shape of the ark? It had a length, 300 cubits this way, 50 cubits this way, height was 30 cubits. There was an ark. But if you look at the dimension and the shape of the ark, it looks like a coffin. Coffin. Ancient people would use, use gopher wood to build coffins for their dead relatives because most of them had a a certain view of the afterlife that you could take things with you. So they would build their coffins out of gopher wood. And isn't it amazing that this Ark of Noah was made out of this wood and it was shaped in a dimension like a coffin? Because it tells me that not only if you're, not, if, if you're going to build your life, you've got to build your life on this boat. You've got to get on this boat. And this boat tells us that you've got to build your life up on things that don't rot away. And number two, you've got to learn to die to yourself. A coffin. This life is not a life of self-luxury. This life is not going to go the way you think it should go. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be aggravated. You're going to feel like you need to give up. You're going to say it's not worth it. But in the process, you've got to learn to deny yourself. It's the struggle between faith, feelings, and facts. Faith, feelings, fact. Faith, that's the struggle. This is the facts. This is how I feel. And this is faith. And there's a constant struggle all your life between those three things. This is the facts. This is how I feel. But this is what faith says. And faith does not deny the facts. And faith does not deny the feelings. That's why the man said, Lord, I believe. But help me. With my unbelief, my daughter's, my daughter's dead, Lord. That's the fact. I'm, I'm wounded. I'm crying. But I do believe you. There's faith. And I'm stuck in the middle. The Christian church wants to tell you to deny the fact, deny the feeling. Don't deny your feelings. Don't deny the fact. Sometimes you're stuck in the middle and you have to choose not to deny either one of them, but to change your perspective about what you see. It's the substance of the ark. It's the shape of the ark, the safety of the ark. What was the safety ark? When you make the ark, God said to Noah, put pitch on the ark. Why pitch? Because pitch was a safety. It was like, it was like a glue-look substance. 
and it would keep the water out of the ark. So the ark could float on the water and the winds and the waves and the water can hit the ark and it would never get inside of the ark because it had pitch. It pitch is mentioned over 70 times in the Old Testament and the word pitch in Hebrew means at-one-ment or atonement. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is our pitch? That when he died for us on Calvary, how many knows that his blood becomes our pitch and because of that it keeps judgment away from us? The size of the ark, verse 18 tells us what was the size of the ark. He says there's three decks and there's enough room for all the animals and there's enough room for all your family. Can I tell you something? The ark today is Jesus and there's enough room in Jesus for every tribe, every kindred, every nation, every sinner, every prostitute, every prodigal. There is room in the ark. And the structure of the ark, get this, verse 16 says there was a window above in the ark. One window above. The window was made from above. And the Bible says a dove came at the end of the flood. A dove came. Isn't it interesting that in the New Testament, Jesus is in the water he comes up out of the baptisms of water and a dove shows up. The ark is a type of Jesus in the waters. And when it landed, a dove came. I'm telling you today that there's a battle between the boats. Either you're going to ride the Titanic boat and sink in the end. Or you're going to get on the other boat and build your life upon things that don't rot. You're going to die to yourself. You're going to find your forgiveness in the pitch of Jesus. You're going to realize that the ark has many rooms for everyone. No one is excluded, but the door will eventually be shut. And the structure of the ark is that the Spirit of God always empowers those who are truly submitted to Him. What about it, my friends? I've preached what the Lord has given me today. I've preached not out of fear or favor. I've preached because I love you and I care for your soul. I've preached what thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, has revealed to me to say to you, I am his mouthpiece. I am the mailman. I've come to deliver the mail, and you are to either open it or throw it away. But there's a decision that you've got to make today. And I hear the Holy Spirit say to me today, there are those of you that are not right with God. There are those of you, your heart is far from him. Today is the day of salvation. Would you come to the altar today?